Hello and welcome to Volume 1, Issue 22 of the Cane and Rinse podcast. Just as George Lucas, when faced with losing out on the official Flash Gordon license, made Star Wars, after Bioware no longer had license to make Star Wars games, they created their own space opera. Joining me, Leon Cox, this week we have Darren Foreman. Welcome back. Pleasure to be here, buddy. And Joshua Garrity. Hello there. And after that very uncommonly brief intro, let's go. Mass Effect. been uh i counted up something like uh 15 12 14 13 15 spin-off things uh four novels four comics three mini comics something like that um but i haven't personally dabbled in the expanded universe the 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 fully formed universe of the games has been enough for me what about you fellas yeah i'm the same um i don't tend to dabble in uh expanded universe stuff simply because well most of the time it's weaker than the uh core storyline to games like Halo and Mass Effect and mm. I-, I know that some of these novels I've heard are actually very good but I just I tend to avoid them as a rule because I don't want to ruin the universe for me or I agree yeah and also it's another time commitment isn't it and on top of all the other games that that we're playing as uh, listeners will know we play quite a lot of games uh, Darren, what about you? I'm exactly the same. Um, if it's not in the game, it can be explained somewhere else, but I prefer everything that they've got to say should be in each game. It should be able to stand alone in its own merits. Mm. And besides, um, did you hear about the last Mass Effect novel? Yeah, there was some controversy because uh, it it fucks around with the lore and, or gets things factually... It got a lot of things completely wrong, apparently. And, yeah. Um, to the point where they're actually changing it in every upcoming edition of the <laughs> of the novel, you know? Yeah, so it's like things like the actual... the history of characters and the appearance of certain races and things like that are just wrong, like the author hadn't played the games and has simply you know, made it up, which perhaps is unfair on maybe you know maybe some of the the tie-in game novels out there are much better much better researched and written by fans competent writers but i think this this is the, the that story was a good illustration of how i feel about expanded universe fiction yeah i mean to be honest the what the bit where commander shepherd attacked a wookie was going way too far <laughs> yeah it just started bringing in uh, yeah, just bits from other... There was a Klingon vessel and uh, and all that kind of thing. And Jean-Luc Picard and Captain Shepard fought to the death atop the Enterprise. <laughs> Stuff. So, stuff. Cro- atop the Normandy. So, I, yeah, talk... Sorry, Josh, no, go. No, I was just going to say, if I'm going to read a novel or a comic, I'd rather read an original novel and a comic, not something based on it from another medium, so... Yeah. I can understand people getting so invested in the law that they want more of it, but uh, yeah, n- none of us obviously feel quite moved to do that. 
I mean, I think it might be a different uh, situation completely if a lot of them were held in higher regard, because a lot of them just seems to have been farmed out to make a profit off the fan base rather than being able to stand on their own feet. Yeah, quite right. Yeah, so talking of Wookiees and Picard, uh, obviously, as I mentioned in the intro, the, the story goes that after making Knights of the Old Republic, uh, now uh, Bioware didn't make Knights of the Old Republic 2, that went to Obsidian. Um, and uh, I never played the second game, that, that, that Obsidian game, but I gather it was kind of half finished and then had a rushed ending. Um, it really was. Okay, so did 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 you play uh, Knights of the Old Republic then, Darren? Yeah, I played them both. I mean, I enjoyed them both fine, but the second game, you could see there were massive chips in it that were completely unfinished. Mm. You know, it's um, there was no end. In, and I remember reading a, uh, an article on what was supposed to be in the game, and it's obvious that they had about half the developed at mint time that they needed. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know the, the sort of ins and outs of the story, but Bioware obviously got to make a Star Wars game. They used the sort of bones of the Dungeons & Dragons. Um, sort Close of in, Yeah, is that right? And uh, and sort of the combat is based around that. I played something like 55 hours of Knights of the Old Republic, but eventually it wore me down with um, poor menu management. Um, I found it frustrating that it was very difficult to compare items with you know items you already had with items that were available in shops and um, I think it was about the point I got to Kashyyyk I kind of lost interest and maybe maybe I should have persisted because I think that's where the game really opened up it was when I started having I, I seemed to have some kind of planetary map and I had interstellar travel available I don't know how much freedom of movement the game gave you as it went on. Josh, did you play Knights of the Old Republic? Um, I played the first one. I didn't play the uh, second one. Um, I liked it. Um, It's not very very clear in the way it's presented how certain things should work and Mm. it's kind of once you get used to it, it's it works and it's a fun game. And like all Bioware games, it's well written and there's some interesting characters in there. But it just it just feels a bit of a mess sometimes. And I, I much prefer what they've gone on to make later because it feels like they've really streamlined a lot of the things that I found a bit fussy and a bit irritating about their previous games. Mm. So four years later, yeah, as I was saying, obviously they they got to make a Star Wars game, and then they, I guess they got a taste for it, and also you know saw the potential, financial and fictional, uh, and so set about. I don't I don't know at what point they started creating Mass Effect, but I'm guessing probably fairly soon after they finished Knights of the Old Republic, maybe 2004 or five, something like that, and the game came out in 2007. I remember seeing videos for it, you know, hype reels on my Xbox dashboard, and uh, I've got to admit, I wasn't particularly excited by it. I uh, I thought that it looked like it was going to fall between the stools of an RPG and a combat game, um, while not excelling at either, and I, and I guess its critics would argue that that's exactly what happened. Um, I didn't buy it for quite a while after it came out, I ended up buying a copy of, a brand new copy for £10 from Argos uh, the following year and I didn't get around to playing it until just before Mass Effect 2 came out so were any of you you know on the hype train for this either of you I say any there's only two of you um, well actually Mass Effect uh, 1 along with the first Bioshock was actually what motivated me to buy a 360 mm-hmm. um, so I was fairly excited for it um, I, what, what about you Darren? 
Yeah, less so. I mean, I knew it was coming out, but I had no no burning desire to buy it right away, even though I think I ended up doing just that. <laughs> um, of course. Yeah, it was just an off-the-shelf purchase for me. Okay. Um, so, Josh, as the most excited one, uh, you dived straight in, and uh, how did how did it um, measure up to your expectations? Okay. Um, I, I'm kind of mixed with this game. Um, I think the storyline and the characters and stuff like that are, you know, best in class. They're, it's really well written, and I really like a lot of the characters and people like Rex and Garrus and Tally and Liara, etc., etc. But I do think as a game, um, I don't think it's that good. Um, I think it's kind of middle of the road in terms of um, combat. Um, and in some sections worse than that. I think that there are sections towards the end with... Um, I forget what those giant geth are called. The ones with four legs, mm, with the like giraffe-type head or something. I, I forget. I like, can't Col- what they're called. Colossus or Goliath or something like that. Yeah, that makes but, sense. <laughs> um, some of the combat with that, when you're just like a... When you're not in the Mako, um, you're just foot soldiers... The combat with those got so frustrating and irritating towards the end. Um, the menu management for your inventory just got... Towards the beginning it was okay, but when you... Towards the end of that game, and you've literally got hundreds and hundreds of guns mm. and armour, it just got a bit overwhelming. It's like, this is getting in the way. Yeah, I had a similar problem when I did get around to playing it as Knights of the Old Republic. Is it was There was a lot of sort of manual legwork of actually sorting and comparing things yourself which you know, might might make me sound incredibly lazy but when I'm playing a video game I do expect to see some kind of clear on-screen indicators of improvements and you know, pros and cons to a to a weapon rather than sitting there in a dull menu screen actually sort of shuffling up and down between two guns and trying to work out the minuscule differences between them um and I I just don't feel um I feel like the best parts of the game were the conversations and the moral choices and the stuff uh, with the mm. characters. And for that, I actually valued... Overall, I ended up like really liking the experience because that stuff was so good and so much better than other games. Um, but I, I... When people say that Mass Effect 1 is a masterpiece, is really like one of the best games this generation I can't mm. help but think was it just me that saw all that texture pop in was it just <laughs> me that saw all those frame rate problems and all those glitches repetitive and, architecture uh, it, being a, a main one the lifts yeah and the I mean everyone's complained about the Mako but the Mako controls awfully um, I mean it was alright when you were just exploring planets for like um uh, you know, like the crash sites on certain mm-hmm. planets for stuff like that. But in actual combat scenarios, that thing was awful. Yeah, awful it's not de- not designed for combat, so perhaps they shouldn't have made you use it in combat. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so, what what sort of route did you take? Obviously, um, we didn't know at the time when we first. Well, people who bought and played Mass Effect at the time didn't know that uh, their decisions early on in in terms of uh, Shepard's background and and the way you played throughout the game were going to have repercussions for the next five years now since the first game came out or getting on that way Um, 
you, as I recall, you get to choose one of three backstories for Shepard. Um, oh, by the way, excuse me, listeners, spoiler warning. Uh, we're probably not going to give away the ending to Mass Effect. We may do. We're, we're just going to talk. So, um, but I'm guessing if you're listening, you've probably played the games anyway. But uh, fair warning. Well, I went for the uh, Soul Survivor thing simply because mm. I felt like that would be the most interesting choice. But it doesn't really factor in much to the way your character is. I mean, some characters mention it um, once in a while, but. I, I ne- it never really affected the story. I mean, did no. anyone else feel like it did or not? Hard to know, because I'm not one of these people uh, like our esteemed former editor, the dearly departed Jay, who is willing to go back and play through umpteen multiple variations just to see all the all the tiny differences. Darren, have you? Do you remember what you chose, and do you feel it had an effect on? your subsequent hundreds of hours in space. It certainly did not. Um, I chose the war hero background for Shepard. Mm-hmm. And apart from a few people popping up throughout the story to say, hey, that guy's a war hero. Um, and the the cutscene right at the start, where it basically blatantly says, um, the choice that you picked gives you a little bit of narrative. Apart from that, it never really popped up at any point in the entire series that I can remember. So, uh, Josh, you feel that the sort of the choices you made throughout the game in terms of the uh, Renegade and Paragon, which obviously were an echo, a hangover from the light and dark uh, force meter, uh, good side, light side, dark side um, thing from Knights of the Old Republic, they they have more of a bearing on how the game world responded to you. Yeah. Um... Well, I do. I do feel that some of the choices you make in terms of like Paragon or Renegade do affect the way characters will talk to you and how they'll respond to you. I did because I did play through the game twice: once as Paragon and once as Renegade. And you do right. notice that as the game progresses, characters will respond to you differently. Although it, it's not really that stuff that I valued the most. Mm-hmm. I I really liked um, the ways that you could change the story, and I feel like Mass Effect One. The one thing I feel I give credit to One uh, that it does better than Two is actually giving you choices that are difficult to make. Um, whereas Two, I felt like there a lot of them were just like, "This is the good one. This is the bad one." Yeah. Um, there was a situation like a spoiler. Well, we've already said spoiler warning, um, where you have to choose between two crew members. Um, mm-hmm. Ashley and Caden. Now that's not like a black and white decision. Like yes, it is. Ch- is it? <laughs> Anyone who is nice and right and just with the world will blow up Ashley. She was going to shoot <laughs> Rex. <laughs> well, in in my game, she did. The space. That's the thing. Well, yeah, but she was thinking about it, and space racists <laughs> can just go up and smoke, as far as I'm concerned. Well, that's the the point I was about to bring up is that the problem with that choice what is that Kaden you're choosing between Captain Douchepants and Mrs. Racist. I mean, Caden's the most boring person in the universe, and Ashley's a, like a BMP member. So it, it's not really it's a hard choice because it's like who do I hate more out of these well, two characters? People who are boring can you know be forgiven for their dullness, but People with uh, objectionable views, uh, but well, you know, 
I, I'm I'm pro education, but uh, in that scenario, that, I don't think that was an option, was it really? I I think um, I saved Ashley, and I think it was mainly because although she's because a she's female. racist. Because <laughs> no. you're a horrible racist. Because I was yes, having sex with her on the Normandy. Complete and utter bastard. Uh, <laughs> I I just felt like I'd rather have an interesting. Because despite my feelings about Ashley's beliefs, she is kind of interesting as a character. Whereas Kynes just True. like a nothing character, and I just I'll True. get rid of the boring one. That, that that is an interesting point. The this is a wider topic about and role Kevin's playing in games. In Kenan's defence, though, he had migraines the entire game. <laughs> did he? I don't remember that. Yeah, he, he kept moaning about them all the time. Ah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> But there is something to be said where, like, this was the other thing I was going to ask you chaps about how you were playing it. Were you playing the role of a fictional Captain Shepard or were you playing the game that you thought made it the most interesting for you by, for instance, leaving a racist alive because you felt that it might lead to more interesting story beats later on? Or were you playing it as you know, Space Josh Garrity, Captain Garrity? Definitely uh, just to see more interesting stuff. Um, I, I hardly ever play as myself in games. I always see it as an opportunity to become someone else entirely. I want mm. to be a different character. Was this character male or female? Uh, my shepherd's male, but like, it doesn't look. He doesn't look anything like me. He's just like a, like a uh, you know perfect Adonis type shepherd. Yeah, and he doesn't look oh, like right. advertising materials shepherd. Either, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it yeah. doesn't look. It doesn't look like boring shepherd. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, no. I I always make decisions that feel like okay. That seems like it's going to have some interesting repercussions later on. Like for instance, with the Rachni, which is another little decision that you get to make. Um, I decided to keep them alive simply because shit. If they're alive and all my saves carry over to Mass Effect Two, that means they might show up later. Of course, I'm going to keep them alive because something exciting might happen. Hang on. At this point, did you know that? Did, was that in your head? The thought of things carrying forward or is this your replay well no because they adver- they advertised it a lot didn't they I'm pretty sure they did yeah 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 they they mentioned that the save would carry over okay. in all the I, advertising I, okay I didn't remember it going back that far I mean uh, you know that that could have been viewed as kind of cocky that yeah we're definitely going to make a sequel and uh, but I think that is one of the the master strokes of the series the reason people are so invested in it um baker's 12 on the forum says i would like to hear about your thoughts on the ability to continue sh- your shepherd's story from the prior game to the next and why no one else seems to have picked up on it for their games i think as i say i think this is one of the key things um about the whole franchise obviously if it was just a rubbish game with nothing else to recommend it other than a character continuing through and and decisions and actions in one game having repercussions I I don't think that would work but I think it probably does elevate the experience above that we were talking about you know perhaps you you could argue if uh, the most critical thing you could probably say about the Mass Effect games is that they do fall down in between the two stools of action and RPG but the fact that you feel like you're you're having these 
having this relationship with his character no matter which of the sort of ways you're you're role playing it is going to have some future and i think like even with we'll talk a little bit about our, our hopes and dreams and fears for mass effect 3 at the end but with bioware having shown themselves to be extremely fallible with dragon age 2 when it comes to sequels after the fairly uh, glorious response to mass effect 2 um i'm now more concerned than i was for mass effect 3 but i feel like even if the game comes out and gets mediocre reviews as dragon age 2 did well actually it probably got over reviewed if you look at the actual scores that it got but word of mouth suggests um i would really feel that i had to play it anyway just to conclude that story because it's not a standalone sequel as far as i'm concerned for me when I started Mass Effect 1, it was just before... Uh, actually, no, I, I had both games when I started playing Mass Effect 1 and I played them back-to-back. -back and I decided, absolutely decided, from the first moment in the game that whatever actions I performed, whatever decisions I made, whatever choices, that was the only Mass Effect story I was ever going to experience. I was never going to do what, what Jay did, and, you know, fair play to him, if if he gets a lot out of it then then it's cool but i never wanted to play through as a different character i i wanted to be that shepherd and that shepherd alone and and see what happened that's interesting because i i think i don't i didn't take it to the extreme that jay did where you know play it like many many times but i did play through mass effect 1 a few times just because i was curious to see how it would change i had my um you know, my, this is my shepherd, you know, this is my definitive shepherd, but I had like experimental shepherds that would <laughs> uh, allow me to look at the rest of the content. And there yeah. is a lot of like different stuff that can happen in the first game. Right. Darren? Yeah. What's um, your take on this? I went for the, it's a fairly obvious kind of choice, but I played it through twice. One was a male paragon, mm -hmm. complete herald of justice type. And the other one was a female ass kicking renegade, with red hair, of course. I did the yeah. exact same thing as you. <laughs> what does yeah. this say? What does this say about male nerds? I wonder. Uh, that, that femme shep is glorious, man. Femme shep, you've 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 said the thing. Um, I sure yeah, did. I know some people. And in fact, I voted for the redhead femme shep. So, haha, take that, heathens. Yeah, no fair play. Uh, yeah, my my shepherd is uh, female, um, simply because I decided that I wanted in on this in this particular game to try to role play as much as I could um, not not play it as boring old me in space um, and see where that led me I took Paragon and Renegade decisions on the fly I didn't consider beforehand what I would be doing um, that felt like the most honest and pure way to play it to be honest I wish that Bioware would actually kind of encourage that method of playing a bit more because the way mm. that they do like their wards is always to extremes of good or evil. Yes. Which is why I took the two playthroughs. One is a total paragon, and the other one just modern everything in our way, you know? And um, can I just bring in uh, Dragon Age here? Because mm. I feel like the one thing that Dragon Age does better than Mass Effect is the moral choice stuff. Because in those games, it's to do with how your friends and your allies view you and how close they are to you that affect um, 
the decision. So, for example, you'd make a decision that one of your friends thinks, oh, yeah, that's great. And one of you, your friends goes, oh, that's horrible. And they might actually get to the point where they leave because they're so disgusted with your decisions, mm. which I think is much more interesting than just this is the good choice this is the yeah. evil choice yeah i mean i can understand where you're coming from there but the problem with this entire this entire setup is that i'm always trying to keep people happy it's really if i see a fun choice that's going to get me like negative relationship points with someone i'll usually just pick the safe option mm. and rather than actually a role playing it becomes the relentless appeasement cycle where all that's... you're doing is trying to keep <laughs> everyone happy well, that's life. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, it is life. But you know, that's but also that's also yeah. That's sort of that's but that's interesting because that's both real life and gaming the system, uh, which you'd think would be two opposites. Which I think is perhaps why I went down the route of playing a character, Shepard, making her female and making her black, and two things I'm not in real life, and just as much as anything to remove me from my own decision making process I'm not saying that women or black people make automatically make different decisions to white men but you know what I mean it just helped me in my head play it as a character yeah exactly yeah yeah. Um, yeah, I mean in terms of just trying to answer Baker's 12's question as to why other developers aren't doing this I I guess it's partly it's, it's that other people aren't making games of this with this budget and this scope um, and perhaps publishers aren't so confident about getting the opportunity to make sequels. Um, Absolutely. I mean, the amount of variables that Bioware would have had to take in track of during the development of the Mass Effect trilogy, it's an insane amount of choices. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Even though a lot of them don't really come across in any meaningful way, you know, occasionally you'll get an email from someone you helped out in the last game. Such good stuff, though. That that that's such like it seems like a small thing, but I think it really it is. Really I mean, what helps. I'm saying is, it's not like a major thing, but it's all stuff that's been tracked. Yeah, and and even the major things. I mean, for instance, okay, see the assault on the citadel at the end of Mass Effect One. Mm. Whether you choose to save the council or not, completely changes an encounter with a shopkeeper in the sequel. Right. It, you know, basically, he's a prejudiced bastard if you kill the council. And if you save them, he's thinking that humans are great. <laughs> yeah, there's, I, I can't, I can't actually, you know, remember and single out all the moments in Mass Effect Two where I was just um, because I played them back to back. It was, it was all fresh in my mind, which, which I think really helped. But there were a lot of moments where there were little nods to what had gone before. Some of them more major and than others. Some of them less consequential, but in some ways the smaller ones were the more affecting yeah and Mm. to be honest another reason why some developers might not be quite so keen on it if a decision that you made in the first game fucks your game in the third it could really upset some players (laughs) for instance Josh was speaking about um, basically saving the Rachni and letting them free Mm. what if they came back at the end of the third game and destroyed humanity that would be great that would be amazing I would love that could happen you know that would definitely divide players but man that would be amazing we've just spoiled the end of the third game oh, yeah, we yeah have. it would be fantastic if some of the the choices made as far back as as mass effect one have serious like huge repercussions for the end of shepherd's story at the end of mass effect especially 3. if it's something you can never see coming yeah 
and you know unless you're doing it like me where I'm self-imposing the, the the rigid structure that this is Shepard's story and whatever happens happens and I can't go back on a save I can't change anything you can change it all because you can just play again from the start of Mass Effect 1 there's nothing to stop you other than time and other games so um, I don't yeah I, I think they should feel free to go to town on that stuff and, and have you know major events based on things that maybe yeah maybe you fucked up early on you know maybe maybe you made what turns out to be the wrong decision after all that's life isn't it you don't always know you think you're doing the best thing at the time but it might come back to bite you on the ass or in the universe in a few years time um what about uh loadouts because oh man in terms of the minute to minute gameplay uh a large a large amount of the time is spent uh in combat you, know, the, the, you probably spend more time in shootouts than anything else. Maybe walking about, and you know, conversation comes in there somewhere. But there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, shoot shootouts, aren't there? Um, so your choices here, in terms of what character class you pick, are extremely important. Although, again, it's one of those things in a game where at the start you don't necessarily know how these things are going to play out. Maybe some people will pick a class for a few hours and see if they like it and uh, whatever but what about you fellas um i always pick the vanguard uh for my first uh my default chef my main shepherd because um it seemed like the do cool shit class hmm. um which is exactly what you want so i had like access to some powerful like weapons like uh well not weapons in the first one. I mean, like, weapon upgrades and stuff like that. But also, um, like, you had the psychic... It's basically the Force, but, you know, the adept powers where you can... Biotic powers? Yeah, yeah, where you, you know, lift people up and, yes. you know, throw them around. So yeah. it was... Um, visually, that that class is really entertaining because you get to throw people around like ragdolls yeah. Yeah. Uh, while still being able to take punishment. Um, how, what about you, Darren? Well, in the first Mass Effect, I decided to choose a soldier, just so mm. that I could have access to the entire arsenal of weapons. Made it very, very plain, to be honest. You know, there wasn't a lot of cool things you could do as Shepard. Mm. Generally, you had to get your team to do those. So in the second game, I decided to become an infiltrator, just mm. so I could stealth around, headshot people from 2,000 yards with a, a nice cloaked straight through the brain shot. And that was a lot of fun. Um, it made the game incredibly easy, though. Because the minute you stealth, everyone loses track of you. Um, your upgrade path and that really allows you to just abuse the system. And it made my insanity playthrough very, very easy indeed. Mm. But it was fun. It really was a lot of fun. Yeah, I think uh, I think I went with soldier and then infiltrator or something i can't actually remember the names but i remember using a sniper rifle a lot in the second game and uh, and enjoying it i think uh, i think you're right josh i have sort of in recent years tried out in various games to to go for the the magic user class or equivalent because generally you get to see the best graphical effects but i figured that uh in this game, as it's kind of squad-based and you get to command your squad anyway, you've normally got at least one biotic user with you at the, at the time anyway, so you get to see all those effects. You get to tell people to throw people about, so you kind of get the best of of both worlds in a way. Um, but yeah, I certainly found um, 
the second game, as you said, Darren, with a, you could get some incredibly powerful sniper ammo that doesn't uh, doesn't take too many headshots on on most things to to take them down. Um, I've heard some tale on the the demo of three, which we won't talk about now. That uh, bullet sponge enemies make an appearance, but maybe that's to do with the loadout of of the the demo character that you're given. I don't know. No, I was just going to mention that uh, not only can you headshot them quite easily. It just makes it a joke when they're stuck in a black hole and you're pumping them full of sniper, sniper rounds, you know? Well, uh, the, you know, the, the sort of stasis uh, type thing, do you mean? Yeah, just yeah. basically setting them up for absolute annihilation. So, uh, some of, obviously, yeah, Darren and I, we're sort of sh- mainly using sniper rifles and occasionally switching to other kind of guns. The guns are pretty much just guns, aren't they? I mean, they, you know, they look spacey. They come out of... They they look cool when when you grab them from your your backpack, uh, but they're all analogues of real weapons. Um, well, apart from the special weapons, such some of them are quite nice. Well, such as a tactical nuclear missile that would blow up an entire room and leave you standing, oh. and everyone else in bloody gibbets. Yeah, that was yeah. I, I don't think I sort of used it um, because the power of the sniper rifle. I guess again, this maybe suggests an imbalance that a lot of those um, yeah sort of uh, experimental extra weapons I, I didn't use uh, when we were talking about Dead Space. Um, I think this is a, a problem I have is that I'm very much stick to my favourite gun in games and uh, perhaps miss out on some fun. <laughs> I'm exactly the same. I mean, it's just trying to pick the path of least resistance, you know? Yeah. You find out what works, and if it keeps working, you'll stay there. Yeah, yeah. I think I was like that with the first Mass Effect, simply because I felt the combat was a bit of a slog for me. So I was just like, right, whatever weapon gets this over with quicker is the one I'm going to keep using. So I just stuck with the assault rifle for most of Mass Effect 1. But with uh, Mass Effect 2, I felt like I could experiment a bit more simply because the combat was a bit more... Um, I mean, it's nowhere near the you know standard of something like Gears of War or Vanquish, mm. but it's much, much, much easier to control Shepard. And you feel like you're uh, in better control of where your shots are landing and stuff like that. So, Well, I mean, in the second game, you're pretty much in perfect control because it stopped being percentage-based... And yeah. pretty much, well, I mean, it really did transition very well, like third person shooter, I thought. Yeah, so let, I mean, let's talk about the transition. So, uh, I mean, Mass Effect 1, um, in, in my head, I always make the rather lazy but I think fairly appropriate comparison that Mass Effect 1 is more like Star Trek and Mass Effect 2 is more like Star Wars. Mass Effect 1 is a bit slower, a bit more thoughtful, um, a bit more clinical feeling a bit drier whereas Mass Effect 2 is more kind of gung-ho action space opera full-on um, and f- for me uh, that combined with the superior combat in the second game and a better menu management or the refined menu management means that I do prefer the second game I do think it was an improvement by and large on the first but I know that there's a there's a, a, a an army of people who think that the first game was the better experience. The thing for me is, the original game, it had a better o- overall story arc, I thought, whereas the second game got the individual moments. It made them more interesting. Yeah. But the defenders of the first game, they're completely they're completely right. I mean, if they're looking at it from a storyline aspect, you know, that's entirely fine. It's just that 
I found it very, very hard to go back to that combat system. Yeah. The frame rate. You know, I mean, the reason that Mass Effect 2 plays a lot more like a shooter is there just doesn't seem to be the number crunching. You know, like, um, in the first one, it was doing hit percentages, it had all your biotic powers on different uh, cooldowns, mm. it had a lot of, like, background stuff that it was calculating at the time. The second game, they just got rid of all that and focused on just making a third-person shooter, and I think yeah. it worked very well. Um, I, I, kind of, I can understand someone arguing that the first game has a superior narrative and better writing, but... The, my opinion is that while it may not be as good, two, Mass Effect 2's story and characters and writing is still very, very strong. And everything else is great as well. Mm. So yeah. for me, I just found Mass Effect 2 overall to be a very, very enjoyable experience because there was nothing... There didn't feel like anything... It didn't feel like anything was a chore like the first game. Like the Mako sections were a chore. The combat was a chore. Citadel was a chore. The Citadel, yeah, it was a chore. And the combat in the second one is fun. I enjoy the combat because yeah. it's it's easier. It's it feels much more exciting and um, much more engaging. Um, uh, the it runs a lot better. Like you don't get any of the texture pop in or frame rate. Well, you you do get a couple of frame rate issues, but it's nothing noticeable. Nothing yeah. on the extent of Mass Effect One. Um, and you know, and it still has all those great characters. So, you know, overall, I just really loved it a hell of a lot more. And more characters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, more more crew. Yeah. Although I know people were sad that. Grunt replaced Rex and, and things like that, but several returning characters, um, some in lesser roles, some still with major roles. Yeah, and I mean, some of the new characters were very cool. Mm. Even the elusive man, who's never on your party, you know, he's uh, he's a really interesting character, like really mm, calculating, slimy kind of bastard. Martin Sheen, and he actually looks quite a lot like Martin Yeah, Martin Scorsese, yeah. No, Sheen. Scorsese. No. Oh, I see. <laughs> I was joking, what? by the way. <laughs> You're confusing kind of, me. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, okay, go, sorry. Feel joke. I feel like it's a major part of the, the appeal of these games. I mean, yeah, sure. What, what, what were some of your favourite characters? <laughs> I know, I know. Darren has a, a soft spot for Miranda, uh, as I, I know several of my male friends do. See, I don't like Miranda at all. No, I thought. Wait, she, shut up. I thought she was <laughs> she was too obvious. I think I, I think she's actually a, a stick that some critics of the sequel used to to batter it with. In that. 
you know, Mass Effect 1 had this uh, infamous uh, lovemaking cutscene which made Fox News in the US and of course it was all oh, overblown nonsense it's you know, simply Bioware put, put the option in there to have a relationship with one of your crew for, for better or worse um, that carries over into the second game you can even have a sort of casual relationship with the sort of ship's secretary um, but whether you found any of the, the female characters uh, see there's me talking from my male perspective whether you found any of the characters in the first game sexually appealing or not um, Miranda was seemed to be the one who was wedged into the second game as you know uh, nerd bait um, and you fell for it hook line and sinker Foreman <laughs> so did Talis Talio had exactly the same role apart from that was a different kind of nerd they were going for yeah, I mean yeah, Miranda yeah, was really me. she was kind of made to appeal to what's um, players that enjoy like a strong female kind of character doesn't take quite as much shit as some some of them might. Whereas Tally's more like a, a Shine or Terran type, you know. Yeah. I, I I I disagree that Tally isn't a strong character though. I feel she like is, she she is strong in her own way, but I mean, like in, in, in interactions with Shepard, she's a lot more less sure of herself. You know, she does seem to be very shy around. Maybe it depends on your Shepard. Yeah, I mean, I. I went down the um, uh, romantic route with uh, Tally, and uh, she does open up, and she does get a lot more um, confident. And um, she, I just found that whole thing just so interesting because of her um, her disability, not disability, like her race's um, problem, where they can't Problems. open their suits up, affliction, because otherwise <laughs> they'll get you know infected. Hmm. So Disease. as like a relationship with that character, it's kind of interesting having to deal with that and coming to faces like like I really like you and we want to have a relationship, but if and then I you do, spend the entire time thinking, how does this work? They do come up with a slightly contrived way of making it work. But Is it's it basically still like airlocks? No, 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 no. She just like says, I, I'm going to load my body full of antibiotics and I'll still get a bit sick, but I won't die afterwards. So that's how they make it work. Um, but um, it was still interesting because she's so reluctant to get that too close because she could die. She could die. Which is Miranda just set, felt boring by comparison because she's just like I'm a sexy woman, la 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 la. You want to bone me, la 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 la. <laughs> it's just really I just didn't care about her at all. She just felt like she was put there to be the one. Yeah, that that, people I got to admit that's that's how I felt. With. But you know that's all right. It, it, all... That's how I felt as well, which I thought was great. <laughs> Actually, um, disease is a thread which runs strongly through the whole fiction of of the, this universe. Hogan balls. There's uh, yeah. Well, there's the genophage thing. There's the there's the um, I've forgotten what they're called. The the Liara people. Anyone? Sorry. Right. Sorry. There yeah. they Sorry. Um, and then there's Thane, who is one of my favourite characters. Talking about favourite characters, the the Drell assassin, who's dying of a disease, um, uh, exclusive to that race. So. Um, is are, are the writers uh, Bioware trying to say something about this about our fragility I don't know I think it's just an easy way to make a character sympathetic okay um, no offence no, <laughs> no 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 I, I you mean, might be right it, it, it is um, 
it is interesting, and I do find, especially like the Quarians having to deal with their um, affliction, is actually really interesting. But you know when like. What what's his name? Sorry, the Drell. I've forgotten his name. You already Thane. said it. Thane. Uh, Thane, yeah. Mm. Um, when he has the disease, you think, well, was that really necessary? Because it it doesn't doesn't really pan out to anything when you're talking to the characters. Like, I'm ill. I'm gonna die. Thanks. Uh, yeah, yeah. Feel sympathy for me. La 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 la. But that's something that could load into the third game. But I mean, in the second game, it was. It wasn't really explored particularly well. I mean, if he was coughing up during combat or so, just small text to show that he was dying from it, it could have been a bit more interesting, you know? Like, if he actually yeah, had yeah. weakness that was affecting him at the time in combat and during conversation, but it all seems to be a very distant kind of illness. Mm. This is a, a tradition of RPGs, Western and Eastern, isn't it, where things will happen in cutscenes that bear no relationship to what happens in combat for instance you know somebody somebody will take a thousand you know a thousand hit point slash from a dagger and uh, and yet in a cutscene they'll f- fall because an arrow hits them in the leg it's uh, it's that sort of thing the the dichotomy between gameplay and storytelling i guess um liara obviously is a character it's quite a major character uh you pretty much uh, I pretty much found that because I had a relationship with her in the first game that uh, there were a lot of threads tying back to that in Mass Effect 2. Did anyone else have that? Can I just say that she's really not going to be happy with me in Mass Effect 3? <laughs> okay. Did you cheat on her with the ship secretary? Miranda? Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> with everyone? And uh, Kelly, Kelly as well? Yeah, kid ship secretary. Yeah, that's that's what. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm demeaning Miranda to her. And Kelly, she's like kind a, of... she's like a space temp. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm. I mean, I uh, I had a relationship with Liara in the first one, and and then then ended up with Tally, um, mainly because in the first game I wanted to be with Tally, but that wasn't even an option. So it's like, okay, now yeah. it's an option. I'll explore that. But it, I felt like. Our, um, my relationship with Liara ended quite amicably because uh, in the DLC, uh, Shadowbreaker, we had a nice conversation about uh, me and Tally's relationship mm. and we hugged and everything was okay. So I think we're cool. You did not know women very well, man. <laughs> yeah, she... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Well, let's see how well the writers at Bioware know them or, uh, or indeed their own characters. Um, Human Ch- Kelly Chambers was her name, by the way. Kelly Chambers. Just trying to remember the surname. That's right. Yeah, no, she's she's a fine lady, and uh, you know I like the fact she's really nice. I like the fact you that know, she's, she's up for a bit of casual dinner, um, and yes. yeah, in fact, uh, I got caught um, playing. I, I guess the way I role played it, and again, you know, I'm sticking to this thing of just doing taking each conversation option as I see fit at the time. I ended up with no romantic engagement in Mass Effect 2 whatsoever. Um, I came back. Now, yeah, this is a spoiler. You, uh, you, you are dead, um, Shepard, at the start of Mass Effect 2, and then you come back to life, Shepard, which obviously allows certain things to happen. But the way I took it was that um, it made my Shepard very much more sort of uh, happy-go-lucky, you know, more, less sort of principled and more fatalistic. So I was pretty much exploring the potential of romance with everyone on the fucking ship. 
everyone on the Normandy was fair game. Um, I'd, I'd been dead, you know, I was lonely. I just wanted to get some sex. Um, and of course, and, and rather interestingly, taking those options, those what I felt would be the options to inevitably bed somebody uh, led me to bedding nobody. So that, for instance, you know, if I was if I was a sort of person who couldn't leave achievements unachieved or trophies uncollected, uh, I would now have to replay the game because that is locked out to me in my story. No matter what happens, whenever I go back, every time I've gone back on, you know, to reload the game for DLC or whatever, that that ship has sailed. I my shepherd is now destined to only have um, meaningless sex with the ship temp. <laughs> God damn that lucky bastard. <laughs> I mean, some of the other characters um, I really like that you don't have sex with mm. um, were uh, Garrus. I really like Garrus. Yeah, he's cool. Um, if I had a female Carter, I'd probably have ended up with Garrus, just because he's a cool Carter. Yeah, he's... I just... I like his arc from the first game to the yeah, second Yeah, that's exactly game, what I was going to say. The, he actually goes through fundamental life changes, doesn't he? Yeah, and I mean, the, the section with him in the second game is one of the highlights of the series, I thought. The entire Archangel arc. And, and it's really great because you feel like you're coming towards like the end of like an interesting story in its own right. Like, you could make an entire game out of Garrus' adventures as Archangel, and it would be really fascinating. And he's just, you know, he's one of those characters who you feel like is totally reliable he's got your back but he always makes those like dry quips that are really funny i i he's just a really like interesting character and one of the few that feels like he's evolving as the series goes on and then of course there's uh Morden, the salarian scientist who does have a, a whiff of the light relief about him but also does have a, a, a quite a serious backstory quite a sort of um he has more to offer and he and he also uh, sort of puts things forward which are crucial to the progression of the plot as the ship's sort of uh spock figure he's one of the few characters in mass effect 2 where it actually kind of makes sense that you would be going around the universe trying to find him because i do feel like the whole let's find the perfect team like plotline to two is a little silly because you know why would you do that when you can just pick characters that Shepard already knows and knows that are reliable and stuff like that but with Morden it was like oh he can come up with like a some kind of vaccine that will stop us from getting paralyzed from these uh swarmy buggy type things that you know freeze people so he he's one of the more important characters to the plot of two Uh, but also he's kind of got this weird it's kind of weird saying making this comparison when he's like a hero character but he kind of shares uh, some some things in common with like the joker in terms of like he's funny he can be really like you know, laugh a minute kind of character, but at the same time, there's this scary thing about him leaving mercenar- dead corpses of mercenaries outside his hospital as a message to <laughs> anyone else who would dare try and uh, take him on. So it's this weird balancing act between a character who is very funny at times, but has clearly got something wrong with him. He's a bit of a psychopath. Slightly unhinged, yeah, yeah. 
uh, and um, well, we should talk about the the the, the two uh, Krogans, um, Rex in the first game and Grunt in the second. Um, Rex, a hugely popular figure. Um, I feel that a lot of people, no matter which uh, Krogan or other character had been brought into the second game, would have would have struggled to fill his boots. I feel like Rex kind of has that. Um, I'm a big, tough, strong guy but also I'm very wise and experienced like he's not super intelligent he's not a scientist or a philosopher but he's been around a long time and he knows his stuff and he certainly knows uh, you know combat and war and how to like manage like those kind of situations and if your ex survived Mass Effect 1 he will appear in the forthcoming Mass Effect 3 and he was in two, of course, just for a brief cameo. Oh yes, he's uh, he was kind of leading people, wasn't he? He he headbutts Krogan that disagree with him. Well, and why wouldn't you? Uh, Joker then the the sort of one of the supporting characters. I actually uh, want to mention the uh, I've forgotten her name, but the the ship's doctor who's in both games in both Normandies. Um, I think Chakawas. Chakawas. Chakwas. 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 Something like something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's actually she's quite cool, and uh, yeah, I think she she's really down to earth. She does uh, a fairly interesting role. Yeah, I think she she could do with she could have done with sort of more screen time, as it were. Um, now, a divisive character is uh, Jeff Morrow, uh, played by Seth Green, him out of Robot Chicken and Family Guy and stuff. Um, fan or not fan? I don't hate him. My problem with him is that every time he opens his mouth, all I can see is Seth Green's face. <laughs> um, and it's kind of the big problem with um, casting uh, characters with actors who are fairly famous Stunt casting. in video games. Yeah. Is that, like, I can't see him as Joker. I see him as the actor. I have that problem with, with the elusive man. You know, obviously, I've known Martin Sheen pretty much my whole life as an actor, and it's hard to think of the elusive man not as Martin Sheen when he looks like him as well. And you'll get to revisit this exact same emotion in Mass Effect 3 because Jessica Chubot's in it. Yeah, I don't think she's a major player, though, is she? I'm not sure. I've not really been following Mass Effect 3 because I want it to be as unknown as possible. Yeah, same here. Same here. Um, any strong feelings about Jeff? Joker Moreau, Darren? Not really. I think he did his role fairly well. Um, did you enjoy the part where, uh, you know, again, he's another character with an affliction, um, again, maybe for the... A really bad one. A <laughs> really bad one. Um, he he doesn't really have working legs, although, yes, there's a section where you end up uh, controlling him, and uh, I found that that was quite interesting. It wasn't it was yeah it almost turned the game briefly into a survival horror in the the sense that you have a character who's terrible to control and <laughs> pretty much defenseless <laughs> yeah i mean like that section i think it was about the perfect length because i couldn't see myself doing that for any length of time but in that brief moment it mm. did allow him to change a bit more than he had been i mean when you're watching him pilot a ship you know that you don't really feel that's heroic or anything like that because he's just a pilot but then like, he's got this... He's got to go past all these people that can kill him with ease in order to get... Uh, what is it he's doing? Is he getting out a distress signal? I can't quite remember. Um... Uh, it was the AI. Uh, he wanted to 
allow the AI access to the weapons systems because she could only do electronic warfare and because all the crew were like you know being captured by collectors he decided okay I'll give the weapon systems over to the AI so she can start firing at the collector ship mm. or something like that mm. I think that yeah. is it basically something nice and heroic you know it just allowed him to yeah. shine that little bit brighter than uh, just a, a bit cutter off to the side you know so I thought it was interestingly done yeah um yeah, and and the comedy side of his character isn't overplayed, um, which yeah is 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 merciful. Um, the other character I wanted to talk about is uh, Legion. So he's a he's a Geth, and for most of the first game, the Geth are your enemy. Um, but Legion is uh, well, it's complicated. He's a friendly Geth. <laughs> let's put it that way, um, and he has a lot of dialogue if you go and talk to him you can you can learn a lot about uh, the 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 robotic hive mind of of which he is a part i don't i don't think he's that interesting of a character in of himself mm. but i do think he is an interesting like window into the geth as a whole um especially his side mission where um you go to that geth uh, ship or something like that mm. where um, your mission these are like uh, Reaper sympathizers they explain like there are different That's right. uh, Geth groups and there's like uh, his group who are like oh the Reapers are bad and then this group who are like oh the Reapers are gods and we love them and they're going in there trying to like reprogram them but there's that really interesting moral choice where it's like is it better to kill these pe- all these uh um, geth and get rid of an enemy mm. or is it worse to like completely change their opinions and who they are and replace their personalities with a one that's more beneficial to us which is more wrong mm. um, unfortunately because this is mass effect they kind of assign one with like a paragon one and one with a renegade yeah. which is annoying because that choice isn't that clear cut in my opinion no I agree and it it uh, and it almost certainly will have um, yeah permutations for Mass Effect Three. The choice you made there, or it bloody should do anyway. You get an email. You get an email. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jack. Uh, so yes, so uh, Jack's a difficult character. In you know, she's deliberately a difficult character. She's uh, part of a. a product of an experiment you say and uh, because of the um, the experiences of her life torture and so on she's uh, she's a very um, hostile character shall we say uh, ended up involved in the darker side of life and um, but somehow ends up on a team um, now romantically you can get involved with Jack I believe but uh I certainly didn't get anywhere near that. She was uh, frosty, in the least, to say. Um, I'm not sure. It, I guess, yeah, Jack's a character is difficult to like, but yeah, but it's. I I I do think she's interesting, though. That's the thing. Um, I've always argued that a character doesn't necessarily. You don't necessarily have to like a character for a character to be a good character. Yeah, quite right. And I think Jack is a good character. 
Um, and she does have a lot of interesting stuff going on with her history with Cerberus, her childhood. And her side mission is actually really interesting because she has it set in her mind like a set of events that happened on the day that she escaped that place. But actually, as you explore the environment, you realize, oh, wait, she was only like a 10-year-old kid. Her memories are mixed up. Mm. She doesn't fully understand what actually went on there and what was happening to the other kids in that place. And she maybe misunderstood what was going on. And all that stuff's interesting. The problem is she's really, 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 really annoying um, yeah. because she's just <laughs> relentlessly negative yeah. all the time yeah. and it gets to you yeah uh, she makes you work a lot harder to, whereas characters traditionally in video games particularly in RPGs pretty much won't shut up they can't wait to tell you their backstory in extensive detail all you need to do is just repeatedly press the hmm, tell me more option uh, Jack isn't really like that you, you have to work for your uh, your sweet <laughs> your treats yeah, and it's usually laced with abuse as well. Yeah, yeah, hostile, genuinely hostile. Um, I think there probably are some choices you can make. Um, and and uh, I'm yeah, I vaguely it's been two years, but I, I do vaguely remember the way that her side mission played out um, was to her benefit. You know, I got her on side as far as you can. And I do remember, you know, getting being given through cutscenes at least a window into her understanding her personality, her demeanor, and but yeah, perhaps I, I, perhaps there's f- further you can take that if you do go down a romantic path. Um, and again, maybe the the choices I made playing the way I was playing meant that I got shut out because because I was talking to her in a in that sort of rather glib way, you know, in that sort of uh, hey, you know you might be a bit stroppy but you're also kind of hot <laughs> I don't think that's a, that's actually a dialogue option in the game but um, the equivalent to that um, probably meant that you're a real diamond in the rough yeah 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 uh, <laughs> um, probably meant that she was distrustful of my shepherd as I was playing my shepherd um, did any, anyone neither of you not manage to get close to Jack in any sense no I earned no. the loyalty but um, yeah to be honest, her personality just put me clean off her. Mm. I mean, I can understand why she's the way that she is, but opening every conversation with "fuck off, Shepard," yeah, you know, it kind of gets old after a while, and just I couldn't be bothered going through the layers to find the person beneath. Yeah, you you prefer someone like Miranda, who's basically waving their orifices at not, you. Not exactly, you know. Just uh, basically, just not being called a cunt every time I talk to someone goes a long way. Yeah, I've noticed that about you. Yeah.
soundtrack to Mass Effect. Uh, so the each game has multiple composers on it. The first game has four different people on it. I think the second game has more. The third game has something like seven or eight different people, including all the DLC. The third game seems to have reduced that number. Uh, a forum comment from uh, Buckled Kipper. He says, One thing I've always loved about the Mass Effect games is the fantastic music, which really helps set the right vibe. This leaves me in two minds about three, as they are bringing in a new composer in Clint Mansell. Uh, he's a fantastic... Fan- Pardon me. He's a fantastic musician and by far my favourite film composer, but I would love to have hear them carry on with the same theme. No doubt I'll be proved wrong when it turns out to have an excellent score. Uh, so, I, I like the fact that a lot of the music from the first game was available in your in Shepard's room in the second game, but it also reminded me what a sort of fantastic otherworldly alien accent, uh, alien atmosphere I should say the, the the very sort of synth heavy stuff from the first game very sort of Vangelisy tangerine dreamy stuff um, which was more reminiscent of a certain kind of more thoughtful perhaps 70s 80s science fiction whereas the sequel has a lot more bombastic orchestrated stuff which is yeah, it's good it's well done but it perhaps isn't quite as evocative of galaxy-spanning adventures. It's more evocative of space opera movies. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think the first game did have a superior soundtrack, um, mainly because I'm kind of like films from that era, Mm. like the 70s, 80s sci-fi movies, so I like that style of music. Um, but that that's not to say that Mass Effect 2 is a weak soundtrack. I think it's very good. It's just a bit a bit safer than Mass Effect 1's, um, a bit more yeah. mass appeal. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's good. It's good, but it doesn't have that unique feel that the first one had. I mean, I still think that the menu track from Mass Effect 1 is the best piece of music in the series. Mm. It's really well done. Yeah, it's, it's a very nice piece. Um yeah, so Clint Mansell, don't know. Um, I'm, I'm not uber familiar with his work on films. Uh, any any cop? Anyone know? I've no, no idea. I, this is the first I've I've never heard of the man. So yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. Oh, and I don't I think d- that a change is a bad idea. I am uh, familiar with some yeah. of his work. He worked on Moon and The Wrestler. These are good films. Um, with, I don't recall oh. the soundtrack to Moon, but Moon was a fantastic movie. Yeah, um, yeah, good intelligent sci-fi that very much was a throwback to uh, retro sci-fi. Of course, it's made by David Jones, who is a big games fan. No doubt, he would have played Mass Effect. Um, Moon is yeah, it's got a Mako in it, basically. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, that's interesting. Um, looks like he also scored the uh, film adaptation of the uh, video game Doom. Clint Mansell, so perhaps one to forget there. Maybe the score is awesome, um, but yeah, he's worked on pretty much all Darren Aronofsky's films by the looks of it. Pie, Requiem for a Dream, The Wrestler, The uh, Black Swan. So yeah, certainly an interesting choice. Um, we shall see. Uh, has anyone uh, heard any of the music from the new game beyond playing the demo? Well, the the thing is, because I played the multiplayer, you're just not no. concentrating on it at all. So I probably did hear some a lot of music, but okay. like it wasn't sinking in. Okay. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, when you're playing 
the demo. I mean, all you're really hearing is the dialogue options or the crack of gunshots. Yeah, yeah. You need a little bit more time for actual music to sink in, I think, unless it's a really in-your-face sweeping kind of track. Let's talk a little bit about antagonists, then. Uh, we've talked about most of the chummy characters. Yeah, basically, one of my complaints about Mass Effect 2 was that the Collector was in no way as scary or as interesting as Siren was in the first game. Mm. Basically, like, in the first one, as a spectre, Saren had this kind of reputation to him, you know, you knew that he was dangerous. Yeah. He always seemed to be one step ahead of you. And his replacement in Mass Effect 2 was basically like the Black Knight from Monty Python. (laughs) He was always telling you how he was going to kick your ass, how mankind was doomed. Mm. But the problem was, he was sending a swarm of drones at you, and every time that a drone popped up, bang, he was dead. Now you're dead, Shepard. Bang, another dead drone. And it just, it felt silly in places because you were obviously yeah. destroying this enemy. In fact, they were so crap, I'd forgotten they were in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it uh, was just... Ooh, okay, I'm going to come in here and counter these points. While I agree that um, Saren is a much more scary and intimidating villain, uh, kind Not of anymore. serving He's the Darth Vader. <laughs> yeah. Um, role in the first game, but um, the collectors. Well, for for the like first half of the game, they are exactly as you describe it, kind of a boring cannon fodder type enemy. But there's a revelation towards like the middle end section of the game that these guys are the Protheans, but they've been mutated by the Reapers to be their puppets. And I personally just found that interesting that these enemies that you're fighting are essentially just the tortured puppets of the enemy that you're going to face in the future. This is what happens to you if you lose, is what I got from the collectors. You are destined to be this horrible, like, like lifeless, without any personality, just a empty drone is what you're going to become hmm. if you fail. And that does that can indeed happen to a number of your crew. Yeah, they get liquidized and changed. Unless you're as cool as I am, in which case nobody died. I was referring mainly to the the Harbinger, like himself, able to actually like yeah. jump into all these drones and take over. But the thing is, it's from a storyline standpoint, I can see where you're coming from, you know? That does make sense. But it's like the gameplay aspect of it. It's just, it's silly that he's taunting you when you're destroying him. You know, I mean, like, I was half expecting Shepard to start chasing the guy around the place. It's a bit of a, it's, I guess it's a bit of a sort of space opera cliche, isn't it? Or maybe yeah. it, maybe it's just a dramatic cliche. You know, villains do a lot of uh, all mouth and no trousers, don't they? Um, but yeah, perhaps there there was. It's kind of all the peril is um, condensed into one particular sequence towards the end of the game, which is the the sequence that people agonize over because uh you can it's very easy to make what you think is a good choice and have it go wrong i understand i was lucky i guess um in that i made all the choices to keep all all my main characters alive and the crew but it's quite possible to fuck up at that point and end up with very few people left yeah i mean it's not just the loyalty missions but there's also the timed aspect at the end which you've got no idea about because if you like, after, you, after your crew gets uh, captured, that's the Jugo segment we were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah. 
if you if you start like going and doing side quests or visiting planets and doing like little side missions, there is a timer that has started from that point to the point that you start your assault. Ah, oh, I've heard that through yeah. the Mass Effect. Yeah, yeah. And if you've done a few missions, your crew will be dead when you arrive. That's right. Not your not your main crew, but like the ship crew. That's right. And yeah, the way I'd been playing it was that I always hoovered up all the spare quests before doing anything else so I got yeah, away with it that, that's exactly how I played it but um, depending on how long you took it would either be half your crew was dead mm. or you would probably have a cook left at the end of it you know yeah 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 that cook guy who has one line of dialogue uh, he has one tiny mission at the start <laughs> of the game he wants you to bring him some space eggs or something and then that's it that's him done for the whole game he only ever says the same line for the next 200 hours or whatever you're playing it for probably about yeah, 70 I think, the crew, I think the crew maybe say two or three things like uh, holy shit this doesn't taste like us today you know yeah there's quite a good uh, there's some quite good bits if you go into the crew's quarters where things that you've been doing in the game get discussed um, that, that's true in both games isn't it uh, sort of ambient dialogue is uh, reflects what what's going on in, in the wider game um, so how many uh, how many of your crew and uh, both featured and non-featured did you come out with and are you sticking with it for whatever effect it might have in the third game um i was lucky because uh all of my main crew like tally and that lot survived uh but my um my you know ship crew all died but not for the reasons that you guys were mentioning before mm. But because um, there's a point uh, where you meet up with the crew on the collector uh, vessel and they're, and they're saying, okay, well, we can't leave you guys here. You have to go back to the ship. And you have to decide whether to send some guys with them to back to the ship or to you know make them go back on their own defenseless. Um, I kind of made the decision that our mission was more important than the safety of my ship crew. Um, so I needed all the personnel with me uh, to complete the mission. So I sent them off on their own to go back to the ship and they were all slaughtered <laughs> by collectors. Ah, uh, Nice one, Captain um, Shepard. Uh, and you're, you're keeping that, presumably? You, yeah, yeah, no, I'm keeping. Yeah, it. I, I, I just, I just can't get behind the, the sort of replaying of sequences like that. I know that some people, this is based on anecdotes I've heard on podcasts and talking to other people, uh, feel that some of the, throughout this mission, you are asked to send various members of your key crew off to do various tasks, and some people feel that it wasn't terribly well communicated as to which people should undertake certain tasks I disagree I felt it was fairly obvious yeah. who was supposed to do I what I mean I'm not sure why you would want to put Jack into the engineering vents to start fixing electronics you know yeah it yeah. it seemed to be that yeah there was an obvious choice for each one but not everyone saw it that way but we all managed to keep all our crews alive so ha yeah um, but then Everyone's again maybe I'd, I'd like apart from apart from good old Ashley who has been vaporised yeah cool well, that's uh, you, that was not an accident. You you operate a zero tolerance policy on uh, racists, exactly, making you somewhat like a Nazi yourself. The irony, exactly. Um, it all comes around in the end. It does, but I, I feel that my only feeling about having that highly successful mission and keeping as many people as possible alive was that dramatically it 
lacked something. It was although you know the game's set up for the sequel and and whatever. Um, it would have been dramatically stronger to have a significant death in the third act of the middle game, you know. So I curse my my space captain expertise. <laughs> nah. Yeah, I can see that, but I mean, Miranda got shot in the gut in my game, and she was fine, so I class that as my only casualty. Yeah. A patch of her uniform is now gone. Nah. So, we are at the time of recording just over a... No, when is, when's the game out? I've forgotten. Yeah, we're just over a week away from the release of Mass Effect 3. Uh, at the time of listening, you will be even closer or past that date... Uh, you won't have bought it in game stores that's another story I, at the point of finishing Mass Effect 2 and all its DLC which we haven't really talked about but uh, there were a couple of bits for, yeah, let's just quickly talk about the Mass Effect DLC there was a, there were a couple of bits for the first game I played one, there was sort of one story based one and one which was kind of combat arena yeah, think, you get a motion yeah. if you finish it yeah, I, d- I, d- I don't know what the what the combat I did, didn't really fancy the combat arena one because I just felt that the the combat it was, was shallow and pointless. Yeah, it didn't feel like the the game really supported that. Um, the story based one was okay. Um, I got it for a not. That was the Bavarians, wasn't it? Bavarians, <laughs> isn't that isn't that where Germany isn't that what Germany used yeah, to be I could called? Could have said it wrong. <laughs> Batarians, something like that. Oh, it might have had Batarians in it. Um, it was it was like. Space Station something. Materians, that, yeah. Okay, you go and explore a, uh, an apparently abandoned um, installation or something like that. It was okay. Uh, didn't add a lot. Whereas the Mass Effect 2 DLC, a lot of which I got to play with the game because it, some of it had already come out while I was, I'd been playing Mass Effect 1 and hadn't, yeah, hadn't got around to playing the second game. So I think the best way to play Mass Effect 2 is almost to to have waited until all the DLC was out and play it all as one gigantic epic space opera um, and so, some of the, the later DLC the Sh- Lair of Shadow Broker and stuff was you know easily as good as if not better than a lot of the content in the main story um, yeah no I, I agree that like the Shadow Broker and the Katsumi um, DLC was very strong um, equally as strong as the stuff in the main game but the arrival, which was the last piece yeah, of that DLC, wasn't great, was a bit weak. Yeah, it was. It just felt like a, a device to shoehorn in the next game. Yeah, there's the slightly odd one where it's uh, you spend a lot of time controlling the um, whatever the the Mako equivalent was. The the quite hammer. Is that what it's is? It the hammer. Yeah, the hammerhead. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I'll be honest, I actually liked yeah. the way that it's vehicle su- controls. Yeah, it's, it's surprisingly it fun. Was okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there was the other one, which one of the ones which came out uh, and had a r- relatively dark story and had quite a significant decision to be made at the end. Which one was that? Um, was that Overlord? Oh, Overlord. Yeah, yeah that's the one. Yeah, uh, that was a cool, cool thing. I remember enjoying that. Um, but yes, overall, I, I I do think that in a way now is well not now, but. Uh, Maybe in the, within the last few months was the best time to play Mass Effect Two, if for no other reason than the uh, the planet. Um, what's it called? Shooting the probing, probing planet probing um, was massively sped up by the time that they 
gone a few patches down the line they'd when 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 we first played the game it was quite a laborious process of dragging a very slow moving cursor around a slowly rotating planet and firing probes but with patches they increased the reticule to four times the original size sped up the time it takes to rotate the planet and fire the probes so that it becomes this extremely pointless but compelling uh, <laughs> process of, of shooting things at planets to get metals which you no longer need uh, I know that some of my friends got completely hooked on planet scanning uh, but I was kind of disappointed what? did you not like it? No, not a great deal, no. No. Did you play it while it was still very slow and turgid, or did you play it... Yes, I did. Yeah. Right right off the bat. It's uh, it's a lot faster and a lot more fun now. Um, if you imagine, as I say, it's, it's... I would say it's probably... If you include the increased reticule and the increased, increased rotation speed, you're probably talking it's eight times as fast as it was originally. Yeah. I mean, I have played it since then, but not, like, in any great capacity. Yeah. But I do I miss. I fun. certainly do miss. Although you know, the Mako obviously has its has its knockers. The driving over planet surface and finding things that you hadn't found before did lend a sense of of genuine exploration. Whereas there's a lot of planets with nothing on them in Mass Effect Two. There's a lot more actual places to go in the game. Don't get me wrong, but there was a perhaps more of a sense of genuine mystery in the first game. You would pick up these spooky signals and things that you would go down and investigate. Yeah, that was kind of my problem with it. I mean, you would see that there were signals coming out, you would put the Mako out, but you always knew exactly where they were. Yeah. So the exploration was a point, just going from point A to B. Yeah, this is true. What it, was. It, was an, it was an illusionary thing, I suppose, as a lot of gaming is, yeah. but but for me, the, the, the fact that you got to do that and um, actually you know chug around the surfaces of these sort of hostile planets was quite exciting. Um, yeah. I certainly think it was a good idea. I just think that they should have either, they should have probably wanted it a little bit more. Well, I, I would have been, I would have been very else. cool with um, something similar in the second game, but in in the in the the Hammerhead craft, you know, actually jetting around planet surfaces. But obviously, you're then talking about a game that's just insanely vast and probably never would have been finished. I want basically, I yeah. want planets that are the size of Skyrim to explore <laughs> and with as much stuff each planet you can go to so yeah back to Mass Effect 3 then who's I have I've deliberately avoided the demo I've heard uh, because I don't want to play it in advance I'm pretty certain that I will be playing the, the finished game unless early word is that it's a complete disaster uh, so I really can't see it be, being a bargain age too no okay so have you played the demo I have played the demo yes and uh uh, slightly conflicted on it at this point. I mean, it plays fine, but there's something strange about the camera angle. It seems to be too close in. Uh-huh. You can't host your, your weapon. In the run anima- animation, maybe it's just the few years between Mass Effect 2 and this one. It just looks a bit unnatural. It's a little, little constipated? Just strange. It's like you're always pointing your gun forward. There's no variation in it, you know? Hmm. I mean, it still kept my interest. It just didn't... I mean, obviously, this is a single-player... Yeah, I mean, how much... What do you actually get to do? It's mainly, surely, mainly combat. There's It's big. It's I'd say that there's at least four to five minutes of uh, playing there. Right. It's basically... Shepard, after the events of Arrival, goes down to Earth to stand trial for the events that happen at the end of that DLC. And I'm not going to spoil what happens, but you're launched into combat fairly quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then you've kind of got to evacuate, uh, evacuate off-planet. 
And is there a sense that they've gone further down the third-person shooter route? I've heard tell that, although I've heard mixed reports of this demo, I've heard tell that the combat is tighter still, feels you know ever closer to something like Vanquish or Gears of War. They've definitely um, uh, amped up the spectacle quite a bit, um, going by this. Um, yeah, the combat does feel a bit better. It's just... The only real problem I had with it, as I said, was like... Like the visual display of Shepard. Hmm. It just feels off for some reason. And maybe a lot of people won't agree with that when they actually sit down and play it. And maybe it's something that time will rub out yeah. like, the longer that I play it. But just like first impressions were that it was just hmm. strange. Josh, did you feel that way? Did it feel slightly wrong? Uh, well, I wasn't playing as Shepard, so I, I didn't really get that ah. sense. But um, I, I didn't really have a problem with the way it was presented. Um and I feel the controls are much better this time round. It feels it feels like mm. a Gears of War game rather than trying to be one. Um, and I, it just feels really polished, um, and it it controls really well, and it looks a lot better visually. I think they've done a lot with the engine since two. The second game still looks pretty damn awesome. Yeah, as so, I recall, uh, the last time I booted it, I, I don't say that lightly. This one yeah. does look better. Um, wow. And the multiplayer. So y- sorry. Yeah, no, multiplayer, interesting, because obviously the previous games haven't had this. Uh, some people are very cynical about the inclusion. Um, there's going to be both versus and co-op? No, there's no right? versus whatsoever. It's just co-op. Oh, okay. Um, okay. It's basically Gears of War's uh, horde mode, um, but with Mass Effect and RPG elements. So you pick a class and you pick like a race. Um, the demo doesn't have access to all the races and all the... You know characters you can play as, obviously, but um, you do get to pick a different class and everything like that. Um, and it's kind of um, you know so slightly simplified from the single player experience. I understand. I haven't actually played the Mass Effect free single player, but from talking to people, I understand it works kind of similar with the the whole power wheel where you get to pick your team's power and they do it, and you can do the same for you. Whereas um, with uh, the multiplayer, you have to map you, uh, certain powers to a button and you don't have access to the wheels simply because they wouldn't work in a multiplayer setting. Um, and it, it's, it's, not, it's not... I don't think it's going to set the world on fire, but it's just really well put together. It, it doesn't feel like they just said, oh, well, we have to make this multiplayer mode. Well, we might mm. as well just quickly bash something out. It, it feels like they've actually put a lot of effort into it um and it's fun and i enjoyed it and i enjoyed like the rpg like leveling up as well which i know gears of war 3 kind of has that but it's nowhere near to the extent that mass effect has Mm. in its uh, co-op um it's fun but i don't i can't see myself putting tons of hours into it and it's certainly not going to replace gears of war uh for its co-op play anytime soon yeah so it could be another problem the problem I had with the multiplayer was a very basic one, which I'm hoping doesn't tail over into the the final release. I could never get a game to start. Um, I tried eight times, hmm. and not one of those games started. And the twice that I got into a lobby, there was always one guy that wouldn't start. There didn't seem to be any way to kick him, and then I was waiting five minutes for a game before having to leave. Hmm. We'll, I guess we'll have to give him the benefit of doubt and put that down to the fact that it's an old yeah. build and whatever. Um my main concern is uh, I have nothing against them 
including a multiplayer component even though it sometimes seems like it might be a little futile because the way people are the the online shooter audience is fickle it it will get played a certain amount because it's mass effect and a lot of people will buy it but whether people will stick with it or not is a completely other thing um i just hope that resources haven't been taken away from the main game because for me this this experience you know i can play a third person shooter anyway you know there are other games out there doing this stuff um this is probably not going to offer anything that's a serious you know alternative you're telling me that there are other third person shooters on the market <laughs> apparently so um Holy I, shit. I believe we've covered some of them on kane and rinse and yeah well that's the thing i mean like it's the dead space 2 syndrome you know yeah like i'm sure that a multiplayer sized bit of budget could have finished that game off perfectly mm. whereas it made it look like they ran out of ideas the way it actually did finish yeah just went into straight combat yeah, so just obviously at this point we do not know how good the single player story is whether they've whether they've knocked it out of the park as regards to the conclusion of Shepard's Ark but uh, yeah, fingers crossed um, I think certainly the vast majority of players of the first two games are going to give it a go at least uh, so let's conclude before we go to our th- three word reviews by um, saying yeah, what we think of the first two games collectively um, and yeah should people if they haven't played them should they play them now um, should they play them in order da 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 Josh um, I think it, despite what I said about the first one um, I think it is worth playing the first one simply because the decisions you make in the first one and the characters you interact with give so much weight to the stuff that happens later on. And I know the PS3 version, and now recently they've released it as a, a DLC for the 360 version, has that webcomic. But I can't imagine that the dis- making decisions in like a webcomic are going to have the same impact as actually playing the game. Um, I do feel one is very strong in the story department and characters, but the combat is a chore and Mako's a chore. But the second one fixes all those problems for me, and I actually consider the second one among my favourites of this generation, and I highly recommend it. Darren? Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I'd say that you basically need to play both games, especially if you're intending playing the third, because there is so much in the series that you would miss out on, that is fantastic in its own right, that you would just completely not come across if you are to start with 3. On top of that, I would say that if you are playing Mass Effect 1, put it on casual. Doesn't matter how good you are, just get through that, through that combat, love the story, and I can guarantee you'll have a great time with the series. Yeah, I agree with that. I was going to say exactly the same thing. Put it on the easier setting. Uh, the game, Mass Effect 1, if you don't do everything... I mean, it's not... Although it's, it feels like a big game, it doesn't take a crazy amount of hours to finish. I think you can do it in well under 20 hours, um, even if you do most of the things. If you play it on easy, you can. I think you could probably rattle through it in about 12 hours if you just did the main story. But that would still be, as Josh says, uh, recommended over webcomic or whatever. And yeah, for that, for that reason, I, I, would, I would be extremely frustrated if I didn't have an, a 360 as well as my ps3 because i i I don't think i'd feel right about playing two and three without having played one i think it's absolutely essential um yeah it is the grounding point and on top of that i mean you're in matters of length 
there's almost no point in doing the side quest in the first game. They're all very similar, and at least up till the second game, they've got had a really limited impact yeah. on the story. So, I mean, if you don't like the way the game plays, stick it on easy, gut it out, and the other games will, will certainly be more rewarding. Yeah, so uh, the new one obviously is, uh, I say obviously, it's been uh, it's been well publicised that uh, the new one does it in a slightly different way. How different it is to the three difficulty settings, I don't know, but uh, there's story or Mass Effect or um, combat, isn't there? So there's three kind of ways of, of playing it, which which will affect how much uh, how much dialogue you get and how much how many choices you have to make and, and things like that um, it's going to be odd because I've played the first two games through on casual uh, I'm not sure that I want to risk doing that on the third game in case it actually locks content out to me so I am going to play it on like you know the full blown normal Mass Effect mode but I am worried that that will bring into play annoying combat situations that are you know un- unreasonably difficult or bullet sponge enemies and things like that so there may there may be pros and cons to that but um i might be mistaken but can can you not change your difficulty in mass effect while you're playing it and you ch- flip between you can on you can in the earlier games but if you've made the choice of story or i, I wouldn't I, I don't oh sorry i misunderstood yeah i don't sorry. like changing um I don't like changing difficulties once I've started. Um, I, I, I have done it in certain things, but it's, I don't know. It always feels feels like a cop-out somehow. Uh, but yeah, sometimes it can aid completion. Uh, three word reviews. We had quite a few in today. Um, I'll start, and then uh, and then Josh, and then Darren. We'll go round. Jerome McKee, or I think it's Macintosh. Uh, he says, rich, epic narrative. Uh, Hell World Cop says involving interactive storyline. Jakob Pavlov, corridors and crates followed by cookie cutter combat. Yeah, I think he's yeah corridors and crates. Yeah, that's um, it's perhaps a harsh. That doesn't sound reductive. In it's, any it's, way. It's, it's, yeah, it's a little harsh summary. Um, I think he actually likes the games, but um, yeah, and and it is a fair point. There is quite a lot of similar combat in the second game, but uh, anyway, Intel Rock Twenty Seven goes rather higher up the spectrum with monumentally game-changing. Fury AC3 says EastEnders in space. <laughs> Widget, that's W1DGET. Epic Galactic Exploration. A lot of epics coming up here. Homity Psy, great name. Uh, spectacular Interstellar Adventure. Count Steck says Space Opera Supreme. Cinema Dan says Ashley, casual racist. <laughs> Fitting that you got that one. Leg of Time, entertaining sci-fi romp. Uh, Midgemeister, tally is hot. Subtle, James. <laughs> Gr- also appropriate. <laughs> Rich Hoyle, 24, best series ever. Yeah, he went there. Uh, Kid Dog, epic sci-fi storytelling. And he also followed up with better than Star Wars. Not really three words, we'll let you have it. Uh, Nate, na- bleh, Naffy D, Nafy D uh, says dialogue tree slash killing spree. Not really three words again. Uh, he no, also but I says Ghana. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure he's meant to say genre defining. Uh, that's sci-fi. my that's my typo, not his. Okay, sorry. Um, uh, Wacko Jacko Femship. <laughs> Justin Knowles, shooter claiming RPG. 
Hmm. Is that, is that a little pejorative I sense there? He's saying it's not really an RPG, it's just a shooter that pretends to be. I think maybe he's saying that F- uh, FPS games have RPGs in them. Hmm. And you shoot them. Ah, oh, right, no, okay. Rocket propelled yeah, yeah. grenades. Uh, ZX Spectrum 16K. Uh, this is not three words at all. <laughs> but he says ME1, overrated, dull. ME2, loved it. Uh, Sonic Mole. Uh, the Sonic Mole, sorry, uh, says Interstellar Empowerment Engine. He is the only definitive article, Sonic Mole. Uh, and just to finish off, um, this may get edited out anyway, but... Uh, Femme Shepard destroys bastards. That's yours, is it? Well done. Uh, th- we've just seen um, Bioware return to the Star Wars arena uh, with their first MMO. Uh, the old Republic Star Wars uh, it's going down pretty well I think it seems to be doing well people say it's good uh, if you like World of Warcraft and Star Wars it's pretty much exactly what you want uh, there has been talk in the past of a Mass Effect MMO of some kind it seemed to lend itself very well um, do we think it will happen will they be they'll be in competition with themselves would you play it I think it will probably happen but I wouldn't play it um, and that's mainly because I I hate to be a horrible person here, but I just don't like MMOs, um, simply because of the time sink, and I feel like I'm not getting much out of it. So, yeah, Darren, if it was free, I might play it for a while. But um, <laughs> I kind <quote>. of <laughs> that's yeah, absolutely. The thing is, the problem with MMORPGs is that you pay the initial payment and then you subscribe. Yeah. The game is never yours at any point. You can't play it casually. You've kind of got to cram into it. And then once you've got everything out of it, you've really got to break off or, you're, or you'll be paying forever more. Yeah, that's exactly my problem with it. Uh, I, 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 I'm sort of intrigued by the fact that people are saying that playing Star Wars The Old Republic is not so dissimilar at all to playing something like a single-player Bioware RPG. Uh, you can solo it for the for a large part, or you can play it Effect, you know, you're you're playing in co-op the rest of the time. It does sound quite intriguing, but uh, yes, I have a similar thing where I don't want to just devote 18 hours a day to one game and at the expense of all others uh, just to level my character up. So, but yeah, I do think the Mass Effect universe would lend itself terribly well to uh, to a, to an MMO, and it would be nice to see some of the environments and and uh, locations sort of expanded um you could see more of the flora and fauna of of the alien worlds they've created and yeah perhaps getting deep but the reality of it is that there would be i assume a lot of um fetch quests and grinding yeah i'm not going to lie but if tully sent me off to recover five sprockets i would go fucking (laughs) shit yeah uh but i'm sure mmo fans and you know people who are that probably quite large intersection of mass effect and mmo fans would uh would lap it up so uh, it remains for me to do the roundup. Uh, forthcoming show topics will include Metal Gear and Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake. That's next week. Also confirmed, we have Luigi's Mansion and Metal Gear Solid. There are more to be confirmed. Our blog is at canarince.com. We are part of the Character Select Network. You can join in the discussion and put your comments and questions forward for future podcasts at characterselect.net forum. 
Our Twitter is at Cana Rince. Our email is canarince at gmail.com. Our Facebook is facebook.com slash canarince. And naturally, your iTunes subscriptions, reviews and ratings are all terribly welcome. Unless they're negative. <clears throat> Thanks, Darren. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. No, constructive criticism is, is fine. Unless it's negative. Too long didn't read doesn't count as a review. <laughs> Too long didn't listen. I'm kidding. Too people. dry. No gags. Your honesty enthralls us. <laughs> so, uh, I've been Leon Cox. Thank you to Darren and Josh. And I'll be back with some other folks next week to talk 8-bit and MSX Metal Gear. So, we'll see you then.